The Atlanta Police Department seeks to turn 300 acres of forest into a tactical training compound featuring a mock city. This project was announced to the shock of community members who had been given no opportunity to weigh in on the proposal. Entrenchment Creek is an existing public park adjacent to the prison farm. DeKalb County seeks to swap this land with Black Hill Studios, now rebranded as Shadowbox Studios, a major film production company. Black Hall wants to clear-cut 170 acres of forest to develop an airport and erect the largest soundstage in America. This project would cement Atlanta as the new Hollywood, making the cost of this city outrageous. The forest in southeast Atlanta is home to wetlands that filter rainwater and prevent flooding. It is also one of the last breeding grounds for many amphibians in this region, as well as an important migration site for wading birds. The history of this particular land is deeply scarred. In the 1800s, shortly after the land was stolen from Muscogee Creek peoples, it was used as a plantation. In the early 1900s, a prison farm was opened where inmates were forced to perform unpaid agricultural labor, marking the rebranding of slavery into for-profit prison labor. The Atlanta Police Department currently uses this hallowed ground as a firing range. This forest is at risk of destruction as the police and Hollywood make plans to pave over Atlanta's largest remaining green space. In this episode, we're joined by two activists who work to defend this forest. If you enjoy this conversation and want to hear more, check out the Defend the Atlanta Forest for tour information. They should be in the Southeast speaking at the time of this release. Thanks for joining us. I know you're busy, and we're going to talk about why you're so busy in a moment, but I, I really appreciate you guys carving some time out today. For folks not familiar with the work you're doing uh, with the Atlanta Forest and defending it, could you explain a little bit of what's going on in, in Atlanta and uh, why it's so important? I'll kick it over to you, Speckle. Yeah. Um, so the Atlanta Police Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that supports the Atlanta P- Police Department is attempting to build a cop city in the middle of Walani Forest, the South River Forest in South Atlanta. So for the past year and a half, people have been fighting against this and struggling against it underneath a movement called Defend the Atlanta Forest. People are targeting the contractors, living in the woods, doing call-ins, and a multiplicity of tactics to be able to fight against this. and. There's a welcoming for different types of people and for different of different tactics to be used within this as well. Political tactics, cultural ones, like having events in the woods and having things to bring people there. Yeah, an array of different tactics that are direct and symbolic, political, cultural, institutional, and autonomous. Yeah, it's like an amalgamation of of things and there's so many moving parts a part of the movement, but everyone who is a part of it is working to ensure that Cop City will never be built. I think people can gather why like this idea of like building a Cop City in the forest is a bad thing. Now, what's particularly important about this forest in Atlanta? We like to flex that it's the largest continuous urban forest in the country, which is a big deal to have so much forested space in the middle of a, of a pretty big city. 
so in some ways it's like it's a big deal because this forest is so big and because atlanta is a city that is very forested it's almost half covered in tree canopy so people call it a city in a forest but it's also the city that is being deforested at the fastest rate in the u.s this is especially relevant in the in the context of migration related to climate change amongst other reasons that people would be migrating but within the u.s like a lot of people are probably going to be migrating away from coastal cities especially on the atlantic coast where the sea level rises are gonna be more and more devastating to those places and so for a city to be more resilient by having so much forest is a really big deal in all of that context um, but also in some ways it's just any space that is under threat is something that that we think is worth fighting for and this is relevant because this forest is relatively young it's kind of it's a very scarred place if people have have learned anything about this movement you might have heard that there was a prison farm on the land before it started becoming forest and then before that of course when it was before it was a prison farm it was just a plantation where enslaved people were forced to work the land and then before that it was lived in by muskogee people who were violently forced off of the land and so there's these cyclical forms of of violence and forced labor happening on this land that are threatening that are threatened to continue specifically with the cop city project and so this movement seeks to end those cycles of violence both within our communities and on the land so that we can together with the land and as as human communities be healing from all of these forms of violence together i mean i think atlanta is actually the uh, most rural city in the country if i if i recall correctly uh in terms of like human density which is i think really interesting and points to the fact that atlanta probably offers some really good examples of what a more sustainable urban space could look like and the idea of basically deconstructing that just seems given the fact that it is 2022 and climate change is just you know i mean just look at the news in the last two weeks and what's happened to like just in the united states and you want to you want to remove that just seems like total like it seems like a, a suicide attempt basically by by you know the people that run the economy yeah and um during the summer the heat here got up to 107 like in the end of may which is really really high for atlanta um typically august is the hottest month here and so that was really like shocking but also in the forest it's about like 10 to 15 degrees cooler than when you're in the parking lot and when you're on the paved bike trail to get into the forest as well um so there's really like stark differences that you can feel when you're actually there too and if the wani forest is cut down it will increase flooding that happens here and during the summers we especially have downpour where the roads are kind of flooding and people are hydroplating a lot so that is like a big worry as well and yeah it does feel like it will 
destroy the city even faster, which is one of the reasons why they're, you know, doing this. It's a part of gentrification to bring more people in, like with Hollywood and with Black Hall Studios, which is the movie production company that is doing the land swap, where they want to swap the public, the Entrenchment Creek Park, which is the public park of the Lani Forest. They want to build it into the largest movie sound studio in the Western world. Also, the Cop City project is coming after the 2020 uprising, where Atlanta really showed out for a long time. Uh, Richard Brooks was killed here at a Wendy's in South Atlanta, and that was in June of 2020. And after that, the uprising continued, of course, and the police weren't able to control the crowds that were happening here. Atlanta had like the highest rate of cops leaving the force and also one of the highest increases in uh, police budgets after the uprising as well too. So the city of Atlanta and the Atlanta Police Foundation is wanting to build Cop City to train in um, urban warfare against protesters and to continue the trend of counterinsurgency as well. Yeah, so there's a bunch of layers to this that each of these pieces separately would be terrible, but together creates this uniquely catastrophic um, domino effect. If one, if the forest is cleared, you know all of these different things happen. Never mind just the ecological impacts, but the capacity for the state to retaliate and to refine their their methodologies for you know challenging or dealing with like insurgencies and things like that. That that's why this is so important. Um, and why there's been a lot of interest in what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is that last spring, I feel like there was a lot of activity going on in terms of like social media presence and things like that with what you're doing. Now, first, I'm wondering, I'm curious how that impacted the organizing and the effectiveness and even the response by the state with what you were doing and kind of how maybe things have as as it's waned a bit, how that's impacted, again, those same things. It was interesting when there there was like a week or two where suddenly Defend the Atlanta Forest was semi-trending for a minute on, on like Twitter and Instagram. I think that's all really good. Really, the, the more word about this movement that can get out, the better. I think especially in the context of of these two projects we've talked about the the police training facility that the movement calls cop city and the hollywood studios that the movement calls hollywood dystopia these are these are projects <laughs> these are projects that were supposed to be secret they were supposed to be deals made between politicians and corporate entities that normal people weren't supposed to know about and so part of the strength of this movement is just letting people know of these things that were supposed to just slip by us all. And that's really powerful because any, any scandal related to those projects harms the potential of them being built. But it also means in an immediate sense that a lot of money was donated, which is helpful for people to just make make certain things happen but that's that's one little piece i think the most useful thing of wor the word getting out 
over the internet and other forms of media is just people who might be interested in supporting the movement, whether that's by making things happen, like solidarity actions or fundraisers or info sessions in their local places, or actually coming to Atlanta and supporting the camps that exist in the forest, which is a big part of the strategy to keep these things from being built is just maintaining a constant presence in the forest. And the more people who are staying there, just the more robust the communal infrastructure of, of life in the forest can be, and the harder it, it would be for people to be kicked out of the forest. Yeah, I think that speaks to just a general understanding of how, you know, collectively, we're so much more powerful than just a handful of us trying to work together. And um, I think for a lot of people, even, you know, I, we, we talk about these types of projects as being primarily like, you know, uh, anarchist, communist, whatever, you know, wherever you fall kind of on the left spectrum. But in reality, like this impacts everyone across the spectrum. And I think it's very, it's very approachable for folks that are not on the left to say there are things here that I am concerned about. Um, from a, you know, a libertarian right perspective, there's very good reason to be suspicious of the cops building a new facility. And um, I think talking about these things with as many people as possible and exposing them to what's going on can be really helpful and not just in a sense of radicalizing them, but also in just saying, hey, we have common ground. We are not each other's enemy. There's there's other stuff going on that's more important than just our, our politics, and we need to support each other in very broad-based actions like stopping cops from building new facilities and protecting the ecosystem that keeps us alive. That's important work. You know, one of the things you guys are doing right now, um, and I'm, I know you're traveling right now, is talking to folks and traveling and speaking about what's going on in Atlanta. So first, I want to ask kind of what what was the thing that made you think, you know, what, I need to go out, we need to go talk to people in their locations, and get them aware of what's going on. So what what was that impetus to start driving this idea? There's a strong history of radical groups traveling around their country and traveling internationally to connect with other groups and other people who are experiencing similar struggles or have similar political ideologies as them. It's important to have a strong network of connections when fighting against racial capitalism and structures of oppression because it can't be done with a small group. It's a conjunction of forces. That was really important when thinking about ways to broaden the movement. Also, what's happening in Atlanta isn't just a local struggle. Yes, it's happening here in the Milani Forest and is within the specific context of that forest and post-uprising. But this is going to, if this facility gets built, which it's not going to, it will impact everyone that lives in the United States. They proposing are proposing to use 400 acres of land, which is like a huge training facility. And presumably this facility will be open to other police departments across the country as well. And the Atlanta Police Department already works with the Israeli Defense Forces, a part of the Gilly program, which funded, which is funded by Georgia State University and the other funders of the Atlanta Police Foundation as well. That's how the Atlanta Police Department was able to learn tactics of kettling 
during the uprising. So there is already an international connection of different counter-revolutionary forces and forces that perpetuate and hold capitalism working together, and that bond will be strengthened through Cop City if it is built. And so kind of sharing that around the country with people, that this is something that impacts them as well, and that there are also other struggles that are happening where they are living that is connected to this as well, and sharing tactics and lessons and structures of the movement so far to be able to connect with people and to grow. When you think about what's happening, it's def the repercussions are significant, and I don't think they can really be understated. And um, as much as we can, you know, connect on our phones, it still is a far second to in person and having those experiences and having those conversations in a way that traditional media or social media isn't fully able to recreate and that nuance that we can have in verbal conversations or just face-to-face -face conversations. We can't understate the value of that. Has this been as successful as you had hoped in terms of like making these connections uh, across the country? It's been really powerful. And like you're saying, compared to being on your phone or, or reading something, it, it just really hits different when you're in a space with people who, who live in the same place as you and you get to interact with someone more directly, maybe ask questions or chit chat after a presentation. That's been really apparent with, with the feedback that we get from people after after these talks that a lot of people will say that they've they've been aware of of the movement in Atlanta but it never like felt so directly connected to them until being at one of one of these talks and really feeling either a sort of direct connection and this is something that I want to support or feeling I guess and or feeling like there's things about this movement that are very inspiring or opening up new ways of, of thinking about things and bringing people new energy or, or new creativity for their own projects and struggles locally, which I think as much as it's important for the movement in Atlanta, having these strengthened relationships in many places, it also, that energy moves both ways both in forms of being able to tangibly support each other's struggles, but also to learn lessons and ideas from each other, because so much of our power as, as people resisting against big structures of domination is that there's so many of us and we have so much creativity. And when more of us are experimenting and learning and sharing our experiences and ideas with each other, um, it just opens up more and more room for more experimentation so that we can hone our, our efforts and really try to actually make the more beautiful, freer worlds that we're trying to make more effectively. Yeah, I always think about, you know, you don't want to recreate the wheel, but conversely, there's power in multiplicity. And how do you, how do you balance those two things of trying to create something and like open it up to other people without 
I guess, like, yeah, just trying to balance the the need to create redundancies and diversity and resilience through localized action without overdoing that. And I think that face-to-face piece of it is really important because you understand where people stand and kind of what their what their goals and roles are in, in that process of creating that diversity and that fabric. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Poor Pearls Almanac. This is Andy reminding you that if you're looking for more content outside of the scope of the podcast or sources, recommended readings, or ways to support us, you can find that at poorpearls.com. Further, we've expanded our delivery into video content on our YouTube channel, where we're able to show step-by-step how to do many of the processes that we talk about within the podcast. We have also started a Twitch channel where we platform various folks on skills from DIY mushroom production to the various methods to keep land out of the hands of developers. Again, all this can be found at poorproles.com, and we look forward to seeing you over there. With everything going on, has your goal for building networks, all of the things you guys are doing right now, has that changed at all with kind of the the diversity of tactics that the state is using to try to basically get what they want? I think it, it remains to be seen what will be thrown at this movement in terms of repression. What has come down is mostly what the police are physically able to do and not a whole lot else. They've not very effectively wielded courts against the movement. They haven't pressed really scary charges and actually a lot of the charges that they press end up getting dropped because they're they're just kind of bullshit charges a lot of the time whenever they can grab someone they think is related to the movement but we can't know what's going on in terms of surveillance we can't know what's going on in terms of attempts to discredit or to create challenges for the movement like COINTELPRO style of like seeding conflicts or whatever. All we can really do is deal with things as they come up. And I hope that people have great security practices so that people who need to protect their identities and information about their lives from the state are, are doing that effectively. And I think we'll probably see more repression and you know maybe we'll even see in the same way that this that this movement is somewhat innovative perhaps we'll see some innovations from the state and how they seek to repress movements for liberation yeah i hope everyone's taking notes <laughs> so that everyone everyone's learning from how from how this goes mm-hmm. Yeah, and we also have the Atlanta Solidarity Network here that supports political prisoners and supports them through the entire process, including they're incarcerated as long as they don't snitch. But yeah, the network is really, really strong and really built up during the uprising. The jail support within that network is really strong and there's a really heavy culture here of supporting people who are arrested and being there for them. And yeah, the network has lawyers. It's something that makes participating 
within this movement and within other movements in Atlanta feel safer in a way by having a team of people, an array of people working with and working for specifically for people who are arrested for political charges. Yeah, that infrastructure can't be understated. It's so both boring and necessary, and that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's something we need. And to get back to Contact's point where he'd talked about, or they had talked about the evolution of the state, one of the things I think folks sometimes forget when we get into resistance is that it, we're basically in an arms race in some ways, in the sense that the state will try to evolve faster than us and um, learn very quickly what they can to continue to contain you know, any type of resistance that exists. So that means what works today may not work tomorrow. And paying attention to that is really important. You know, I think sometimes we do, or at least people getting into direct action, will look at historical examples of what we should do. And there is a time and place for that, but also to be very aware of what's happening and to listen to people that are on the ground and have experienced these things who can very quickly bring people up to speed on what what is working, what isn't working. Um, So building that community, again, it always comes back to having that community and that infrastructure in place to support one another and being successful. Now, with uh, everything going on, how do things stand right now in terms of, you know, whether or not things feel like they're moving in the right direction? Um, It kind of sounds like that might be the case. In terms of the Cop City project, they really struggle to get any work done and they're so far behind schedule they're supposed to start work on may 3rd of this year and as we're interviewing it's late september and they've hardly gotten anything done and they can't progress on their uh their timeline of these different phases of destruction of the forest and then construction because they haven't managed to rid the forest of beautiful people being there to prevent the construction and destruction from happening. I find it hard to imagine how they're going to get any more work done other than tiny little increments anytime soon. Um, There would have to be some pretty drastic change of the dynamics of, of the struggle. So there's a lot of people who feel pretty confident in how things are going on the ground in terms of defense, but also as the movement grows, its ability to go on the offensive is also growing. This is opening up more potentials for uh, both Cop City and Hollywood Dystopia to be halted because they're just financially uh, unreasonable projects to continue to pursue because they just get so darn expensive and so good well so with with the hollywood dystopia project there's this land swap that speckle mentioned that went through and so there's this ultra wealthy hollywood investor guy who has claimed ownership over what was entrenchment creek park to the point of actually closing it and barricading it those barricades were opened and the park was renamed Wilani People's Park. Wilani is a name that comes from our Muscogee friends 
a name for what settlers named the South River that's nearby. So Wilani People's Park is still a park open for anyone to come and many people are still enjoying the park as ever. And any time that there's an effort to close the park or to destroy something in the park, it's met with pretty fierce resistance on the ground, which maybe is exemplified by a relatively new installation art piece in the parking lot, which is uh, the burnt out carcass of Ryan Millsap's tow truck. Ryan Millsap is the investor guy who thinks that he owns the park. That's awesome. There's now plants growing out of the truck from beneath it, and it's becoming a permanent <laughs> fixture of the People's Park. So I think this this speaks to some of the the potential for to continue, you know, keeping this land safe from these forces of destruction for probably a really long time. And we'll see, it'll be, you know, ongoing. Uh, do you feel like you're getting a uh, positive reception from like the general residents of Atlanta? And if you are, is that something that's like grown or is it, do you feel like it's been pretty uh, stable and static in that support? I feel like it's something that's grown, especially with the last week of action, the fourth week of action that was in the last week of July. One of the main goals of that was to increase local engagement. During the weeks of actions, there's an array of different self-organized cultural events that happen. Like there were AA meetings, there were reading groups, and there was also a three-day music festival that happened in the woods as well that had an array of different Atlanta artists from punk bands to indie bands to solo singers, DJs, etc., to really widen the, the base of people who come to the woods and are experiencing the woods. And so definitely with there being a focus on cultural events happening and people putting energy into that and bringing people into the woods and also people tabling, zine tabling at different events across the city as well has increased local engagement. There's yard signs that get printed that have Defend the Atlanta Forest and that website on one side and Stop Cop City and the Stop Cop City website on the other side that you can see around the city driving from different neighborhoods. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really beautiful sight to see. You can also see them in different businesses around Atlanta as well, too. There's a really wide support from people that live in the city that are against Cop City and Hollywood Dystopia being built because it directly impacts all of us that live here. And most people love trees and love to be able to go to a park and walk around and ride their bike and to have free open spaces where they're not policed. Absolutely. For folks that are listening, you've been doing this for a while now. What do you recommend people do? Um, not necessarily just to support what you're doing, but much like the the sessions you've been doing around the country that people can take as uh, lived experiences that you've had back to the organizing that they're doing at home. I think it's very valuable to to participate in this movement and flow with the momentum that this movement has 
and as much as possible learn as directly as possible the the lessons that can be learned from this movement so coming to the forest and staying there to help you know run life in the forest is really valuable holding events in your local places you could hold also these info sessions it doesn't have to be someone from atlanta who's speaking and also holding solidarity events some places have offices of the same uh, contractors who are involved in the cop city or the hollywood dystopia project and so some people have gone and done protests outside of offices or or work sites sometimes people do things that are a little spicier than protests and sometimes people will just do call-in campaigns and things like that that's all really valuable if, if people want to find out more about who is being contracted to destroy the Wulani forest there's a website called stopreevesyoung.com where you can find out about all these different contractors involved and think about how if you want to be part of letting them know how you feel about their involvement in these projects that sort of a thing but i also think it's really valuable to learn from the ways this movement is structured or in some ways is unstructured we call it a movement because there is no one organization or coalition or campaign that can really sum up the movement and actually many participants in the movement aren't even a part of any formal organization or anything like that and so it creates more of a maybe a diverse ecosystem with many niches when people aren't trying to impose a structure or a particular vision or ideology over how some kind of struggle is going on and instead remaining open to all of the different possibilities that can come from different people and groups of people bringing their ideas into the fold um, that can be really valuable and i think that's one of the big takeaways that people have been having from these talks that folks are doing about the movement is that I don't have to build power within an organization. I don't have to run a formal campaign. Uh, I don't have to be determining how anything goes in particular. This is especially hard for people who consider themselves uh, community organizers or leaders within an activist organization or something to to consider that there might be a whole nebulous thing going on that you may or may not agree with what many of the people are doing and i think it's really powerful in the context of being after the the george floyd uprisings where much of what happened that showed so much potential and created so much momentary freedom for a lot of people was it was very emergent it wasn't no one no one planned that it just kind of happened that way because people were moving with each other and so we can we can take inspiration from that and not stifle 
our movements for liberation by trying to force our vision over them and let things unfold as they will. Yeah, no, I, I would absolutely agree. Uh, it also makes it incredibly hard for the state to, to deal with it because they, the state is designed to deal with institutional, other institutions with uh, figureheads and things like that. When you offer the, the opposite, that it's like amorphous, it's, there's nothing to grab for them and it becomes incredibly difficult to challenge it. And uh, I think that's part of probably why you've been so successful. We saw what they did with the Black Panther Party and the American Indian Movement and the Black Liberation Army and so on. We don't have to replicate, you know, structured organizations where there's people in formal positions and their government names out there and they're speaking as representatives and so on. It can be something a lot more confusing for the state and maybe for us as well. But that can also be exciting and have a lot of potential. Yeah, and it, it definitely, in my opinion, checks a lot of the capacity for the state to infiltrate and uh, basically convert figureheads into, you know, liberal pieces that they can manipulate through. Kind of what we've seen with like Black Lives Matter and in uh, many cases, that can be really dangerous in itself. So um, I think despite the fact that it can be challenging to work in that kind of environment, it does offer a number of benefits. Yeah, it's a way of being five or 10 steps ahead of the state and also protecting the movement and the people within that movement as well. Yeah. Anything else you would like to uh, plug, suggest, or recommend for folks that want to learn more or get more involved? Kind of expanding on what context said, if people want to host info nights in their cities or create action groups um, to show solidarity. They can also go to defendtheatlantaforest.org slash library. And on that page, there are posters and zines and info sheets um, that people can print out from wherever they are and distribute them at any info nights or at any shows or events that they're going to and table and talk to people about the Defend the Atlanta Forest movement and also things that are going on locally for them as well. And the general contractor for the Cop City project right now is Brassville and Gory, also Atlas Technical Consultants and Long Engineering. So earlier context was talking about like a tactic that people could use is learning more about these three companies where they live and all of that information is on stopreevesyoung.com awesome speckle context this has been a really great inspiring conversation and um i look forward to seeing the the work you guys keep doing and i'm sure we'll touch base again thanks so much for having us yeah thank you so much